Maximizing Your Potential. This is the Human Performance Podcast with Dr. Craig Duncan. Hey, everyone. Uh, Welcome to Soccer Doctors, which is just fantastic that we're here. And Andy Harper is here and Craig Duncan is here. And we're very, very happy to 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 be here um where are you you look like you're locked down i'm looking at you and thinking you're locked down just by the way you're looking you look like you're locked in solitary confinement but i am in sydney and locked down harps is in the country is not locked down but he's trying to look locked down (laughs) look at that look at that yeah if you're not sorry 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 if you're you're not this is also on our uh, YouTube, but if you listen to this on the podcast, I, I suggest you go on. It's worth the um, worth the price of admission to see. Harps and... <laughs> well, I, mean, I don't know. Lockdown. You talk to me. You look at me as though you think I'm in a time warp. No, well, you look. It is. It's you know, off season. In fact, this could be the longest off season of my, of my career. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to your illustrious career. But I mean, what you're wearing. Yeah is something it's a flannelette shirt yeah okay which you used to accuse me (laughs) of wearing a flannelette shirt and i never wore a flannelette shirt but you're wearing a flannelette shirt but you're now wearing it with pride we're used to like i don't know like uh i'm wearing it i'm wearing it out of necessity what's a necessity i'm wearing it out of necessity like, it's not a fashion statement. We're not all catwalk models, right? Yeah, but what's a necessity? Flannel shirt. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's cheap. It's cheap and warm yeah. and it's Australian and you're proud. You're a proud Australian. And, yeah. um, and yeah. you've, you've told me recently just how proud you are of this government and how they're handling the COVID-19. Why do you do this? <laughs> why, why, are you so, why are you so provocative? Like, we had these arguments... I hated that nearly 40 years ago. And you've just, you've been waiting, waiting 40 years to, to cleanse yourself, haven't you? No, look, we're, we're very close in our political views now. Except... But, um, so what have you been doing? I mean, you've been, you've been in isolation for about three and a half months. <laughs> I know, can you believe it? It's like when I hear people, I mean, I have absolutely been in isolation since June 1. Wow. Yeah, June 1, and what I've got now is just bliss. I'm at home with my family. I can go outside. Um, yeah, And so it's this is bliss. I can go to the shops yeah. where in, if I move back to when we were in that, played those four games for UAE, we were, weren't allowed out of the hotel um, except for training and games. So I, I saw, you know, that was that was for a good few weeks. Came down two weeks Um hotel quarantine and we spoke about that and then um uh yeah then sydney's been in lockdown since then so uh, yeah, uh, i mean well, it, is, been, it is what it is has been a, a lot's been happening um mm. also you talk about my wearing a flannelette shirt i mean I, di- I didn't realize it was such a big deal but i'll take it as red but what you should let people know is that you have bought leather jackets because there was a movie, an Australian biker movie. I think it was produced in 1974 called Stone. <laughs> a movie. And I know for a fact that I, I think well, they were called the Gravediggers or the Undertakers, the bikey gang. And it was something to which you always aspired. Like you wanted to, Toad was one of the, um, one of the characters. And finally in your 50s, you've, you've felt brave enough to embrace your inner biker. You know, I'm a I'm a lover of skill acquisition, right. and um, you know, I'm I'm always curious in life, right. and um, it was something that I hadn't done for a long time. And uh, yes, uh, a couple of things sort of worked their way into it. And yes, um, we have been um, learning to to ride the motorbike. That is true. I will admit. And have you got a license? <laughs> I've done the course, which is called <laughs> nicely enough. You know what the course is called? Stay upright, and, <laughs> and 
And so in Sydney or in New South Wales, you've got to do a two day learner course to get through that. And then you do a knowledge test to get your L's. So that's mm. where we're, where we're at. And so you're on the L's and what you're riding a Vespa or something. What is it? No, I got my, uh, a motorbike. So yeah. it's a Honda CB 125E, um, <laughs> which is like a learner bike, but I just did actually buy myself a, uh, a low level cruiser um a Yamaha a historical uh a, quite a historical bike a Yamaha um uh Virago 250 and uh and I, I was just telling you off air that I'm quite upset that it didn't arrive yesterday but apparently it should arrive next Tuesday well I know I paid some guy my money so I mean hopefully arrived from where um I bought it off someone in the mountains so a bike logistics company is going to get it and, and can you hear me talking you know I'm actually watching YouTube clips now about motorbike riding and uh I'm, I'm a curious person you know you're always learning how, how long before mm. how long before you're on a Harley uh look the the I mean depends how long this midlife crisis goes for <laughs> <laughs> well it's good <laughs> speaking of that I mean lockdown's doing some crazy things to a lot of people and it's accelerating your midlife crisis, although maybe you already had it already embarked upon that. Because I do wonder what is the Yamaha one two five or whatever it is, your Honda C B. Yeah, one two five was it you got a posty bike? No, it's a you no, know, it's more than a posty bike. It's um it's the one that they had at Stay Upright. So I thought that was good um uh for us to learn on. And um like it's actually most enjoyable. And so that's part of our routine. At so the what's moment. it down to the Maserati? uh that hasn't been driven for a while that's right. that's in the well, because you know, it's getting jealous there in the carport because it's watching you you know flirt with a brand new motorbike yeah 125 cc's whereas you're sitting in the garage is this beautifully crafted italian piece of grunt that just sits there yeah i've had it you drive couple... around on a two-wheeled egg beater and and it was a good buy too and you know i like a good buy harps and um i've got to say this because you know i'm addicted to chesterfield lounges you've seen that in my office at the university and i uh, the other week um my wife said to me oh craig we need a couple of new lounges because we've got dogs and you can't have great lounges so i've sort of got this thought in my mind we have two council pickups a year. So, you know, you get one in off free marketplace and then the dogs sort of ruin it and you throw it out and then you get a new one, you know, and that sort of stuff. But I did the greatest buy of my life on Facebook marketplace. I, I got basically $25,000 worth of Chesterfield lounges for $500. How? They were advertised um, and for $500, two chairs and uh, a four-seater lounge. And they're incredibly expensive. And I thought, okay, they advertise as Chesterfield. I said to the people what brand it is. And they said, oh, it's got no brand. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I'll pay for it. Um, and it would be nice, look nice enough. <laughs> and it wasn't until on the day that they undid the cushions and saw what brand it is. And then maybe did a little bit of, um, a little bit of research and uh and found out that they were selling uh selling something that was quite pricey so, uh, so, you, so are these the ones that are at your university yeah no these are new ones new ones got more, to go yeah. where? they're cream they're cream ones and uh i'll send you a picture you'll see them next cream time chesterfields like that doesn't that doesn't sound right mm, it doesn't but they actually look nice a, a chesterfield lounge a four-seater and two um and two single seaters so wow. Man, so you've been active. You've been very active. Um, motorbike riding, Chesterfield yeah. lounge shopping. Yeah, and that's enough for me because I want to get into you. Um, you've been you've been busy. You've called the you called the A League Grand Final. Um, that, was, that was ages ago. Yeah, and then you also last night because we're recording this um, on the twenty third of July. You called last night a historic day in Australian football. Um, with Australia beating Argentina 2-0. Hmm. Mm. What do you think of that? Yeah, no, it was good. I'm, I'm, <coughs> and the Matildas uh, the night before, but it was terrific. So well, I mean, we could talk about that, um, but which will be fun to relive it because it was an amazing night. 
But I thought, you know, actually before you hijack the conversation, that's where I was sort of heading. Like there's a lot going on, including the Olympic Games. And we sort yeah. of, we talk a lot, a lot about this sort of stuff, wondering about Australia's place in the world. Mm. And then the Olympics come along and it's a great time for us to revisit that whole discussion. You have the Matildas kicked off the whole thing from our viewpoint on one, uh, the, the softball team played on Wednesday and then the women's softball and then the Matildas played on Wednesday night and caused a little bit of a stir in some senses by uh, doing their pre-game photo with the Aboriginal flag, which I think is just an incredibly powerful symbol, the flag itself. I love it to pieces, but of course their gesture, quote unquote gesture has caused a, a fair bit of chat. So that's been going on. And then it's the whole, should the Olympics even be going at the moment, which is another debate that's raging. Yeah. I'm, to be honest, I'm pretty happy that they are because it's a it's a great fun tournament. I know there's a lot of real difficulties and logistics around it at the moment and people feel very strongly um, on in both camps, actually. But how's Australia going to go? What do the Olympics tell us about us and, and where we're at? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question because I think... Um, we would both know that the Olympics for us growing up was an incredible event, wasn't it? You know, it was something that we, um, <clears throat> we really looked forward to. And it was a period of time where we, we wore, I mean, I think we wear sport um, as Australians as a, you know, it's a very powerful identity, even though that might be decreasing a little bit these days. Um, and yeah, in those in those days when we were young, and we would look to some of those, you know, those great events when Australians had uh, opportunities to get a medal, normally in the pool, uh, were, were very exciting times. I think one of my first um, rem remembering the Olympics was 1976, um, when Stephen Holland um, was was a favourite for the 1500 metres, wasn't he? And then I think he only I think he got a not only, but he got a silver or a bronze. I can't remember, but I remember that clearly. And I think we spoke about that a little bit with Steve in the in the first couple of podcasts. Just you know what happened after after that, and you know the AIS was born out of the failure of '76, and then we had '80, um, and you know all along the times we've we've had these exciting periods. I think culminating in 2000 Olympics for us as Sydney boys. Um, so yeah, it is exciting. How are we going to go? I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. You met the softball, I mentioned the softball. I had a bit to do with them. Um, really good, some really good people involved there and had a few meetings uh, with them uh, just about their program and that sort of stuff. So that was enjoyable. And then we've had the, the Matildas get a good result and, uh, and now the Oliver is a good result. So that, so that's, that's nice. Um, I'm not sure how we're going to go in the pool. I mean, the, the people, Maybe it's just me. I, I don't know the swimmers as well as I used to. Do you? No, no. Yeah. No, hardly any. Um, it's strange, isn't it? Because, I don't know, the Olympics remains a really big thing. And, but, but I guess because the whole, everything has been so disrupted, not just with COVID, even before then, is that there's not just one channel of information now. So if... If you're, if a prominent athlete is active on some platform and it's not a platform you're into, then they're getting prominent, but they're doing it outside of your knowledge. Whereas in the old days, there was just a, there was only a few mediums through which these sports messages were were promoted, and so you everyone knew exactly what was going on. And it's a really really funny time. And the, the, the what I love so much, apart from the fact that it's the football team and it was a win for one of our national teams. It's it, the football is just so international. It, every time the Matildas or the Oliroos or the men's national team, the Socceroos walk onto the field, we immediately get a scorecard, don't we? We get a golden global scorecard about how we're tracking as a sports country. There's not many other sports that we do where we get that instant feedback. Mm. And the Olympics is one of those moments where um, we, we can get a bit of a, uh, a report card as to how we're going as a country, not in all the sports, because swimming, it's an international sport, but let's face it, like there's three continents which basically don't contribute any swimmers to the competitive pool. You know, there's not many Asians, 
countries that provide swimmers, certainly no West Asians, not many Africans, hardly any South Americans, large chunk of well, the global population. Well, I think I think you're forgetting Eric the Eel that was Eric the Eel. And we, we must always we must always have those fantastic stories. But you know, I, this is the this is the, the thing for Australia is, and I'm not sure Australians really like going through this test because the more the more international and the bigger a sport gets quite easily by definition the harder we find it as a country and as the olympic grows and becomes even more globalized competition for these things gets more and more intense and australians don't feel very comfortable in that it really highlights our nervousness as a nation and so therefore a lot of energy and emotion then gets redirected into more parochial sports things that we can compete at and that's to me not the point of the olympics it's a personal view, I know, um, and I love to see Australia do well, like anyone. But I, I, I actually prefer to see how our guys and girls go in truly global sports because that's yeah. the measure. I think it's and, the I think it's the ultimate test. And do you remember when we were kids? You used to watch those. I think I can't remember what it was called. They'd have those wonderful stories of the Olympics. From the yes. past history, I just yeah, still yeah, remember yeah. it. The... I, I, I remember the voiceovers, ML yes. started, and all those guys. Yeah, yeah the it was just, just incredible. I mean, it's interesting that you raise football because some football people and some Olympic people think football shouldn't be part of the Olympics. Hmm. What do you think about that? Well, they've had these discussions for a long time, and I think commercially, the fact of the matter is, the Olympics would be a far less, far less of a commercial proposition if football did leave the Olympics. Mm. It's a charter sport. There was a big issue, obviously, for a lot of years because of the professional amateur split. Um, but the fact of the matter is, pretty much on any Olympic Games, the biggest selling ticketed sport is football mm. because you need a bigger stadiums to play in it and you have more teams playing it. Um, and I think it has a pretty, it kicks in pretty significantly for the television rights as well. So whilst you know, the FIFA World Cup is just so massive and obviously a perceived competitor to the IOC. There's no real appetite to have a full-on men's competition at Olympic level to run every two years after a FIFA World Cup. It's not as easy as just to say, let's cut football out of it because mm. it's, it's a historic Olympic charter sport and the Olympics probably need football more than the other way around, actually, to be honest. Yeah, but do you find it interesting um, if you look at the Australian team and their three overage players? Mm. Are you do you find it interesting at all that those three overage players aren't our three best overage players? Is yeah, that is that is that saying to us that those three best overage players didn't want to play? Well, it's a, it's an it's an anomaly just about us or the whole thing. It's, I don't know why. Why is there an allowance for? the overage players, and it can it can only be in the hope from the IOC that every now and again you get a truly serious global football superstar, a Messi, a Ronaldo, yeah. who, 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 a Neymar, who actually want to dip their toe in the Olympic water as a, as a senior overage pro and win a gold medal. It's, it, that's a big tick for the Olympic movement to have an Olympic medal hold such an allure for someone like a Neymar and a Messi I mean they've done everything in the game they've got more money than they could ever spend they've got adulation everything uh, in a material sense that the Olympic Games is a gold medal um, for which they still no um, I think which they it's, an, it's, a, it's a big tick for Olymp the Olympic movement don't um, Messi and Neymar they would have a gold medal already I think they've both no, they do. yeah they both do yeah yeah well well Neymar Neymar won Olympic gold in, in at the American R in 2016. It was their yeah. first Olympic medal. They'd won every football tournament ever created on mm. any surface, in any geographic outlet, beach, mm. indoor, except the Olympics until 2016. So the fact that, you know, this is this still does talk to the significant allure of Olympism and the Olympic and Olympic mm. gold medal that you can even in an underage competition, which by definition is a diluted form of competition compared to the World Cup, that Messi and Neymar and Ronaldo, to name the big three, and there's a there's a there's a cast of them who say, you know what, an Olympic gold medal still means 
a lot to me. Um, and I think that's representative of the of the of, of the esteem in which the Olympic Games remain to be held. And I hope it's it, I hope it stays that way. You know, we both agree, I think, that sport in too many parts of our society is under assault. Um, and let's hope that the Olympic movement can at least uphold the edifice while a lot of other things around it, like our commitment structurally and societally to sport, starts to collapse. Mm. Mm, no, you, you, I mean, you, you really do make a good point. I mean, let's let's stick with football for a little while and stick with Australia. I mean, their next game is against who? Well, the Matildas play Sweden next. That's tomorrow as we speak. And uh, the Oliroos play Spain on Sunday, both with wins in their first match. It, it now at least means that going into game three of the group, they're, they're live rubbers. Uh, I think there was a big expectation well, the, the Matildas are playing to expectation. At one game in, the Oliroos have exceeded most people's expectations. And that's fantastic. And, and the, the Matildas from here are going to find it difficult in this group. that They played well in beating New Zealand, but New Zealand are a fair bit down the competitive pecking order. Yeah, They're going to find Sweden and America another challenge altogether. I'm sure it's one that they'll relish. I look forward to seeing how they aim up for the Matildas because they they drew some pretty big television numbers. They're a very, very popular team. And the longer that they can um, get into the tournament, go deep into the tournament for the sake of the players, mm. first and foremost, but the reverberations around the game are going to be significant. Just uh, working with the Matildas uh, included the Rio Olympics. And they are actually, if you remember that, they were at quarterfinal. Um, and uh, they had a penalty to win that game, um, if you remember, against Brazil. Yeah. Uh, so they were just one kick away. And, yeah. um, and unfortunately, that, uh, that, that didn't happen. So they were, they were very close to a medal uh, under the old, old regime with Alan Stajic there. And uh, that, was a, that was a decent campaign. Um, so I think anything less... I think it's a very important time for the Matildas Hubs. Uh, I was looking at that team last night and thinking, or, or the other night, and I was thinking, okay, these this this team's been around for a while. Um, what happens if they don't get out of this group? Is that the end? I mean, I think a lot are a lot of them hanging on because they want to play a home World Cup. Uh, are, are we refreshing this team because? Geez, uh, I mean, they haven't. Let's let's be honest. I mean, they haven't been very successful for for a good period of time. The last World Cup was a was a complete. I I, I mean, no one's going to say it. I'll say it was complete failure. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, they they. I mean, this is a very important tournament for them. I think as a as a brand. Yeah. Well, I think there's been an expectation from people who watch the team that after that we're waiting for the regeneration. Mm. And, and there's there's a couple of headwinds to that. Individual desire to, to hang on for these big tournaments, which you can completely understand. Yep. Um, a perception and maybe some politics around the structure of the, of the whole program, um, that there's not enough youngsters coming through. Um, I know coming out, well, I just perceive that coming out of the 2019 World Cup that there was a bit of an expectation there was going to be a generational shift. Mm. And that hasn't happened for this Olympic Games. In fact, the team that took the field the other night was, I think, the oldest um, international team that Australia, Australian, the Matildas had put on the field. Now, a large part of me thinks that's a triumph. Yeah, There's a couple of players I'd love to see, a couple of youngsters I'd love to have seen brought into this squad and I think could actually be playing. And I don't buy the argument that there are no kids coming through. I think that's a self-serving one. This uh, W League season that's just gone was one supposed to be decimated because of the, 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 the flight of, of, of older players to competitions overseas. And I thought, by and large, it was a fantastic competition and we've, we got to know some new girls coming through and I they're more than up to it, in my opinion. Mm. Claire Wheeler, 
not just this year, just to name one, but over a number of years has been building a really impressive case and I'm disappointed she's not part of this group. On the other end of that, I'm disappointed still that Lisa Devana has not played some part in this group. Well, so, so, so there you go. So then you get this pincer, this, Audrey, be quiet. You get into this pincer discussion because a large part of me thinks that the, the, the mature age of this group, the average age being so high, it's a triumph. Mm. And because the, what that tells me is that, excuse me, Audrey, if you don't mind. <laughs> See, Harps' dogs, I've got a dog in my office, but you won't hear anything from my dog. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're neutered sheep dogs. <laughs> this is a feisty Jack Russell. Yeah. Um, you know, in it, it's not that long ago that um, most, many, many, not most, uh, female football tournaments were staffed by um, teenagers, older teenagers, young 20-year-olds. The average age was much lower mm. because, excuse me. Oh, we're back on. Harps had to remove his dog from the office, so that's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, now she's scratching to get back in. Oh, yeah, actually, it's interesting you say that, that they, they have historically been young. I was really happy to see, and I thought she was one of the better performers the other day, was Kaya Simon. I thought Kaya oh, Simon, fantastic. I thought Kaya Simon was really quite active. I've, I've known Kaya since she was a very young, and I, I thought, I mean, Kaya was a very a great player when she was younger, um, and but she's had some injury history, but... She played a good bulk of that game the other day. I, th I don't mm. think she played the 90 minutes, but she yeah. I thought she was very yeah. impressive. Mm. I, look, I've, I've admired Kai Simon. I've been a fan of hers for a number of years, and, and I, I thought her time was up injury-wise. You know, she'd struggled over the last, had shoulder problems, and but she looks fit and strong, and I agree. I thought she played fantastically well. And the girls now uh, at, at Matilda level, they're able to patch together a career, and there's a long way to go still, obviously. But at this point in time, they're, they're, they're able to stay in the game longer, mm. which is, as youngsters coming through on a talent pathway, if such a thing exists and we're going to build one, don't we, don't we want slash need to offer that to athletes that put in all this time and dedication as a kid to get to the top? Um, but in the old days... By the time you're 22, it's finished because there's nowhere for you to go. There's no career. Mm. You either go and have a family or go get a job or, or whatever. And the, to me, the really positive, overwhelmingly positive point about the mature, relative mature age of that Matilda's team in game one was like a beacon at saying real progress on careers for female footballers is underway. And this is the thin end of the wedge. Now, it's going to get better as we go down the track. From a competitive viewpoint, which runs slightly counter to what I've just said, there are parts of that team that are a little, look to me to be a little bit vulnerable. Mm. And um, Claire Wheeler has won. Kyra Cooney-Cross is in the squad now, um, which is fantastic for her. She's, a, she's got great potential. This is to get to the World Cup in 2023, much like Ange did from Brazil 2014 into winning Asian Cup in 2015, was regenerating the squad with the view to the Asian Cup. Um, quite how much more room to move within this Matilda squad is, is up for significant debate. Mm, okay, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, but look, it will be interesting to see how they go. I mean, if we move along to the Oliurus, what impressed you about them? Well, I thought the first 15 minutes, they looked really sure of themselves. Hmm. They got a goal in 14 minutes, a good goal. They attacked well. They got a good goal. And they looked like they deserved to be in that position. I go through the team and they really didn't have a poor player. And their back four, I thought, were magnificent. Thomas Deng, I made this point in commentary at the start of the game and then again through the game because I want to grab hold of it personally. And I don't, I don't want to, I want to cherish the story that Thomas Deng represents to people and to Australia. And to think that 
Thomas, who led the team out as captain, like 20 years ago, God knows what could have happened to him and his family. Mm. Everybody can look at their own life story and say, you know, sliding doors, this, that and the other. But it is a real triumph of modern Australia that the captain of the Olympic team was born in a refugee camp and built a life with his family in Australia to the point now where he's the captain of their Olympic Games football team. It's a brilliant story. He's a fantastic guy. Yeah. Thoroughly deserving. He's a a lovely guy. I've had the opportunity to work with Thomas on, uh, you know, when he was younger and uh, always a a very good person. So incredible story when you put it in that context, isn't it? Mm. And you are right. A great example of modern Australia, but a great example of how much better we could be. Oh, well, this is the point. But how many Thomas Dengs are banged up on Nauru potentially? Or don't even get hit. Or don't, or don't even get hit. Now, I know that's a hotly hotly contested notion, but, you know, we, we need to, you know, who, who comes to Australia, who doesn't come to Australia, has to be balanced across the spectrum with what Australia needs, human rights implications, Australia's responsibility to the world. And the fourth one is what pearls might we uncover for this country mm. by, by getting this right more often than we don't. And I'm not sure of the state of things. I, I do, on a hum, humanitarian level, get extremely distressed at, 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 at the difficulties people have wanting to live in this country and the consequences they have to pay for that. Uh, it just doesn't sit particularly well with me at all. And Thomas Deng is just one example of how beautifully right this can go for the people involved and for the country at large. Yeah, it's it's an absolute. I mean, it's absolutely uh, incredible. And I mean, all credit to Graham Arnold for giving him the armband. Yeah. Um, because he he actually deserves the armband. Um, I think he is a he is a leader um, in in his way. Um, I thought the Australians were well organised. So credit to to the you know the staff and and that and uh, in actual fact I mean it was a poor sending off but I was watching you know and I was watching and enjoying your commentary as always but uh, I I Argentina were incredibly vulnerable at the back yeah. and and to the counter attack and um, this wasn't a lucky win no no but that that looked that organised well there's a lot of hope I'm told in Argentina about this team and. My disappointment, if there was one, with the performance was, and, and the big test that they ended up getting through on the scoreboard, but, you know, there, there, there were times in that game and there were periods in that game when they could have even played better, the Oli Roos. Mm. Their passing was poor. Their decisions were poor in possession. And the, the cheap turnovers just invited more and more pressure back on them. And the game can seriously go to another level through those moments by simply completing your pass and securing possession, by yeah. having less pressure on yourself. There's, as well as they did, and it was an historic night, as well as they did, you know, if I'm in the if I'm in the room with the players, I say, you know what, that was fantastic. Backslaps all around. This is, uh, I, I, we all believe we can do something here. And if we can pass the ball better, and if we can clear our heads and make better, more confident decisions, then, the compound effect of that is we get less rattled over time. We don't have as much pressure to deal with. So therefore we can progress further down the track. I think that's the, that's the chain of events that very perceptibly can take root here. Yeah. Look, I think there was a couple of players. I mean, I mean, I think Daniel Azani looks short of a run and, and the amount of ball he turned over in dangerous situations was quite, you know, incredible. Mm. Um, But the positive of watching Arzani was, I thought he looked physically quite good and he was getting back in defence. Mm. Um, and he, he is a player that three years ago had a lot to offer and he got a good 80 minutes under his belt. Um, but now we have a couple of players very similar to him. In, in effect, the, the goal scorer that came on, mm. you know, is they're similar type players and... Uh, that would be the question is, uh, you know, uh, are there any changes to be made for mm. that? Um... Well, 
They've got seven yellow cards. Of course, and any of those seven players on yellow cards pick up another one, they're going to miss a game. So there might be some judicious resting of people. There's not a big, there's not a long turnaround. It's a minimal turnaround before between games as well. Mm-hmm. So hot and humid, difficult conditions, seven yellow cards. There are going to be some changes over the next couple of games. But, but Tilio comes on for Azani. And look, Azani's decision-making, I thought, was a bit questionable. Uh, and his passing for a player of his ability was poor. But I thought he was outstanding in as much as whenever he got the ball, he was prepared to settle on the ball and put questions to his immediate opponent, one-on-one or one versus two. And the importance of a player like Arzani having the confidence in those situations to put his foot on the ball and to back his technique, to play to his habits and his training and to his preference is a really important signal to the other teammates because, you know, he's, a, he's one of the leading lights in that team. You know, been to the last World Cup, none of those other players had. He's so a, I mean, he's a... Owned he's by a big European club, signed by Celtic, you know... He's the big reputation in that team. Mm. And you don't want your big reputation as a shrinking violet when the heats are on. Heats on. So his passing needs a lot of work based on last night's performance. But he didn't shrink. The violet didn't shrink when he was surrounded by Argentine defenders. He still had, he still had the quality and the confidence to take them on. That's a really important thing that he did. Then Tilio comes on and dead set. He could be the next superstar of Australian football, that kid. He really, mm. really amazing goal. Brilliant, brilliant finish. And on the back of what he did in the A-League in the grand in the grand final run, just superb. And then you look, Craig, before I, whilst I'm thinking about this, the team that started last night, Thomas Glover spent a lot of time in England, has been back here for the last three years, the goalkeeper. Harry Sutar's never played in Australia. Um. Every other player on that starting 11 was born and bred and developed out of the A-League. So all the naysayers who sit around and say, oh, yeah, it's Australian football, but it doesn't produce anything <clears throat> and it's not the EPL. Well, thanks for stating the bleeding obvious. Mm. But the fact of the matter is all those kids cut their teeth in the development programs here and they beat a gold medal fancy and they beat them fair and square and they did a fantastic job. It's a, fan, it's a brilliant reflection on the amount of work that goes into kids here, even with all the problems and the dis- mm. and the uncoordination that we keep talking about from time to time. Yeah, and you're exactly right. And just on Daniel, like I, I'm a big supporter of Daniel Azani. I think he'll, you know, he should be uh, when you know he gets a few games under his belt, a you know, a starting player for the the Socceroos. There's no. No doubt about that. He's got something that a lot of, you know, many players don't have. Uh, So that's good. And yeah, and it was encouraging just how many, yeah, the the A-League has been a success in every, in every way, um, I think. Um, And looking at now how it's gearing up for next year, looking at some of the signings that are being made, I I think it's going to be a a really positive year for the A-League next year as well as the, as the teams presently start to get underway with pre-season training. Yeah, well, I think the A-League is a great product, I think, and the W-League, they've both been great products. Um, If they get a modicum of promotion from this point on, relative to what the market requires, because, you know, let's face it, we're up against some pretty heavy competition, but it's it's very, very promising. Um, It is an Olympics chat, and I want to get on to the Brisbane Olympics announcement because 2032. I was thinking of you were probably out riding a Vespa at the time. I'm not riding a Vespa. I just told you I'm not riding a scooter. Oh, you're popping monos on your one two five or something. I'm going around. I'm going to cul-de-sac. That's it. I can't go further. (laughs) So I don't know. Did you see any of the footage of the announcement? Um, I look. I'll be honest. I can't watch the Queensland Premier. I can't. Oh, right. I, yeah, I can't. Um, if I see her, why do you I, have to personalise everything? Um, yeah, I know that's a that's a really good point. But I, I think she's. Um, I, and I, I, 
I don't want to call her she, but she is. Um, I think she's horrendous um, as a politician, as many are. And uh, she's won I, three elections. I think that says more about Queenslanders than it does about uh, her. Ability. Anyway, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Now <laughs> I I heard I saw her jump up. Yeah. And I and I saw our illustrious prime minister give the thumbs up where it yeah. brought to him. Yeah. But I did see there was some controversy about John Coates. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't look into that because I, I don't know if I'm going to read it, it's taking away yeah. know, precious yeah. time. So yeah. I, I don't know what happened, but. Are you happy that Brisbane got the Olympics? I'm happy Australia got the Olympics. Yeah. And I think. No, uh, Olympics. Brisbane got the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think um, I'm happy for Brisbane. You know, I um, I, I think Brisbane's a, a fantastic city. You played there. Uh, I've worked for teams there. I, I think it's a, a great city if you're from Brisbane. I mean, every time I go up there, I think, wow, what a what a wonderful lifestyle that they'd they'd have up here. I mean, mm. um, and and I think it's fantastic for the the city of Brisbane and well-deserving they'll put on a fantastic olympics if you think yeah. you've got brisbane you've got the sunshine coast and your gold coast i was thinking yeah. about it today yeah. like the visual oh, they'll do and, it, and and they're redeveloping the gabba i understand uh, that yeah mm. so, so this is um but there's a couple of things that i just got to get off my chest because I, I i've seen the news clips of the announcement and you know it was a really tacky attempt contrived to recreate as uh, the winner is Sydney moment from 1993. Yeah. Like, this was a bid in 93. I'm, look, let me, the, the writer on this is I'm stoked that the Olympics are coming to the, um, to Brisbane. Yeah. Stoked. Yeah. Great result. It was a one horse race. Yeah, I know. I, it was I, a I, one yes. horse race. No one else wanted it. Mate, it was, man, it was cringeworthy to yeah. see. The winner is Brisbane and people jumping out of their seats like it was a surprise. Yeah. I mean, I, I was a little bit embarrassed about that. Well, I was a bit confused because I thought we were definitely, I already thought we had the Olympics. We did. Yeah, like so, it's a one-horse race. How many, how many Melbourne Cup jockeys? <laughs> There's only one horse in the race and they get to the finish line, they stand up in their saddle and punch the air like there's any doubt. Yeah, I, I, like that did. I mean, I, I, I suppose I just haven't been that excited about it because I suppose I read that she was going there. I didn't even get why the Premier was going to Tokyo because I thought oh, it was already done. Uh, this feeds into the, yeah, that feeds into the John, the John Coates thing. Um, you mentioned, look, that they, one of the things that got Brisbane across the line ages ago, by the way, I mean, this is, they've had it in the bag for months. There's been no competitive tension at all, yet they've tried to contrive some competitive tension in the days leading up to the official "quote unquote" announcement. I mean, it was it was it was just it, I just found it really embarrassing. Really happy that they did a whole pile of fireworks out of it once it. Had been I saw formed. that. Yeah, I, that's, no, that's I hate. I hate Mate, fireworks. Celebrate, celebrate that sort of stuff. We've spoken about my hatred of fireworks, haven't we? <laughs> fireworks are a disgrace. You uh, created and, and I thought that was. Was, were they real fireworks? Well, I don't know, but I thought they were pretty spectacular. I was, yeah, but I was like wondering them. if it was like just film clipper fireworks, because I hope it was. I'd have more respect. If they were real fireworks, I'd be horrified. Well, why wouldn't they be real fireworks? Because it's a waste of money. It upsets dogs. Like, I, I can hear your dog barking there. I'm expecting someone in your farm hood no is setting, setting on fireworks. Yeah. Um, it's pollution. Yeah. It's, um, okay. Okay. it's a waste right. of money. All right, I'm with you. Well, people think the Olympics are a waste of money. You buy that uh, because think... they routinely go over budget. Now, Brisbane, one of their big selling points apparently was that they were a cheap option because they've got a lot of their, a lot of the facilities are already built. Let's wait and see. There's not been an Olympic Games that has been held to budget and most host cities have been crippled by the debt that's followed. That's point one. Point two is that the centrepiece of this is going to be the ripping down of the Gabba and a billion dollar rebuild. And, you know, this, this takes me back to Sydney 2000, the last time the Gabba got a refit so that they could host Olympic soccer. Mm. 
Sydney 2000. And the Queensland soccer community, the legacy piece for them, out of being the reason why the Olympic Games came to Brisbane in 2000, the soccer community in Queensland got two-thirds of Diddley squad. There's never been a game there. No buildings, no legacy, no stadium, no home of football, nothing, nothing, nothing. The beneficiaries of football bringing the Olympics to Brisbane was the Gabba getting a refit. Then when the Olympic football moved out of town, guess who was home ground it became? Aussie rules and cricket. Now we fast forward 22, to be 32 years in Sydney 2000. And that same venue is going to get another refit. And when the Olympics rolls out of town, who's going to have a state-of-the-art billion-dollar facility to use for their commercial purposes? Cricket and Aussie rules again. And probably rugby league. Oh, that'll stay at Suncorp. They don't need it. Yeah. So let's hope to our seven, almost eight listeners of the Soccer Doctors podcast. No, we're up to many. <laughs> it's not a number I can... I can we're, we're got sponsors knocking on the door. No, we do. We by do. by the way, if you want to sponsor shake. us... Yeah, huh? Protein shake sponsor? Protein bars. Um, you know what we've never done on this? So let me just finish the point. That's a clarion call to, to Australian football community and Queensland, Brisbane football community in particular. Mm. Please do not the Olympics let the Olympics roll into town for 2032 and football is left with nothing again. Now, I know as a host city this time, Brisbane have more mouths to feed, but that still sticks in my craw from Sydney 2000 that the, the two of the biggest sports, commercial sports in Australia with have had absolutely no impact or reason for the Olympic Games going to Brisbane were two of the major beneficiaries of the fact that the Olympic Games did go to Brisbane. And the reason why the Olympics were in Brisbane, football got nothing for it. That can't be allowed to happen again. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, what did John Coates do that was so upsetting? Uh, I haven't seen it. I've just listened to, listened to it and what people... Some people thought it was a setup between he and Palaszczuk because you remember um, Anastasia Palaszczuk, Queensland's Premier, was under the heat for going to Tokyo in the first place because of the emergency provisions of COVID and just all this sort of stuff. So she had to justify going there in the first place. And I think that initially she said, well, I'll go, I'll make the presentation, which we've got to make to the IOC. Because in a one-horse race, you never know who's going to pip you at the post. Is it? And then I'll come straight back. And then when she's over there, of course, some people think the press conference was a contrived one where John Coates put her under uh, under demonstrable pressure to stay for the opening ceremony because of protocols and all this sort of stuff. The alternative view on that was that John Coates was being overbearing, bullying, misogynist in his attitude to the, the Premier of Queensland, that this was his show, not hers, et cetera, et cetera. And people have formed different views on that. I haven't seen it myself, so I'm not in a position to, to articulate a view other than to repeat to you those that I've heard. He's been around a long time, hasn't he? Oh, he's, mate, he's been enormous. What a career he's had. Mm. Bruised a lot of people. He must have along the way. You can't be in that position for that long, mm. not having done it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so one of the things that come out of, you know, post the announcement of the, of the Olympic Games is that this is great. It's a great opportunity to re-engage Australian kids with sport because people have been writing that and finally acknowledging that the, the rates of participation amongst kids in organised sport is on the decline badly in Australia. Well, mate, Craig, holding the Olympic Games as a standalone event is not going to change that. No. Australia has to stare itself in the mirror and and fundamentally reform the way it runs things with kids, with schools. If we're fed income about re-energising activity and sport, it's got to go into the heart of government and reform education policies. We've talked about this before. The Olympics can come and go at billions and billions and billions of dollars of cost and investment and have 
a sugar hit to kids getting active and wanting to be sporty again. But if we don't fundamentally change the delivery right around Australia through through the education facilities that we have, it'll just be a waste of time. I I couldn't agree more. And I, I saw someone state the other day that how wonderful this is because now this gives kids at a certain age the ability to dream of being at the Olympics. And I thought, are you serious? Like, are you really, I mean, how, okay, that's, that's a nice thought, but we're not, I mean, that's, those kids are going to dream anyway, the ones that are going to go to the Olympics, they're going to do it if it's in Brisbane, if it's in somewhere, they're going to have that dream. What we're talking about is this incredible problem we're going to have with long-term health through chronic disease because our kids are inactive. Now, if you're sitting on the sidelines now and you're, and you're eight, nine years of age and you're a little bit uh, overweight and you're not that good at sport, I'm telling you right now, the Olympics is not going to inspire you to go and get active. Yeah. So, I mean, as soon as we get off this, um, you know what I hate about sport? I hate, and you know, you and I have both made our careers in professional sport. Professional sport is business in a lot of ways. I don't think it's making a difference to the long-term health of Australians. Well, I mean, it just, it can't be. It can't be because as as sport becomes more professional, Mm. more commodified, as more money comes into it, and sports are trying to find more platforms for broadcast, Mm. and people are dedicating at that end of the... It, it, it's axiomatic that it has a general influence on the population because while sport's going like this, we're seeing the health implications and the, and the health profiles of Australians plummet. We're watching it. We're watching both things happen simultaneously. So it's, a, it's, it, it, it's only a fool would say top-level sport in and of itself motivates the masses to healthy lifestyle. It just doesn't. It, it's, I mean, it, it's, it, we've got the, the numbers are in on that. The numbers are in. And I don't know the Olympics to tell me this. I mean, there's a, I, I came across a, a, a school teacher um, the other day. And, and to me, this was ground zero for me, Craig. Crown zero. We've been rabbiting on about this for a long time. Sure, sure, Audrey. We've been <laughs> rabbiting on about this for a long hey, time. Hey, uh, by the way, if anyone, um, you know, wants a sponsor that's into uh, dog training or anything like that, please yeah. come because Harps, uh, Harps has absolutely no control over his dogs. One second. <laughs> hello. Because she wants to say hello to Craig. Wow, she's a, a very nice looking Jack Russell. Yeah, she's, she's a yeah. good She's very active, but she's very loud. So the ground zero for me was this. I was talking to a school teacher the other day and he's an organizer, uh, a sports coordinator at a school. Motivated guy. Yeah. Motivated guy. Little tornado. Do you know, as a sports elective, the kids... Is this going to upset me? Because it's Friday night. Yeah, but tell yeah, me. Will. This will be the last point. I'll drop it with you because then we better go and have a life because we can bring it up next time. No. Of all the sports he offers to kids on a, on a weekly basis, there's one option, board games. <laughs> now, through this forum, I've had a crack at a, another, there's another school, what teacher I was talking about, and, the, and, the, and a kid actually, sporty kid, and, and this sporty kid for her weekly sport afternoon, competitive sport afternoon, was allowed to choose snorkeling. Remember that? We had that chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only board. But at least that's active. That's better than yeah. board games. Board games. And yeah. as his last last roll of the dice to try and keep, you know, this, this cohort of kids engaged in something. And I thought, if, if that's not the saddest, most, most dire reflection on where we've come, mm. I don't know what is. I mean, I, I I don't know quite how much further. It's almost to the point where you say, okay, look, I can't, I can't as a society, as a as an education system, we can't insist that you like this or do that. But this is not our rule. This is the rule of biology and life. If you don't move, 
your body is going to decay. And your mind. And your mind. You have to move. Like this is a law of nature. Mm. We cannot have a school system that doesn't insist as a minimum once a week. Okay, you're not playing board games. That's not an option. You have to go for a walk. You have to move your body. Mm. You have to. It's not our rule. It was written in the heavens. If you don't do it, you decay. How, how can we have let it get to this? It's, it's incredible. And, uh, and I was thinking about it the other day. Um, and, you know, with the whole mental illness uh, issues that arise, and there's so much mental illness with youngsters. Hmm. And I put that in air quotes. You know, like I think, yeah, mental illness exists. But when you and I were young, or, you know, not like, I don't even know during high school if we would have known the word anxiety. Mm. We would have said we were nervous. We could have been nervous before an exam or now that's anxiety. Now that's become a condition. Well, you know what one of the best things is for any, you know, if your mind isn't right, you know, is to get out and move. Mm. And there's now some literature just about the, the chemicals, I mean, you know, that are released when you're moved when you move, you know, uh, the endorphins that are released will make you feel better. And now for the first time, there's actually literature that talks about hope chemicals that are released. They've actually named them that. So if you're in a mood, go and move. Now we know during adolescence and that sort of time, people people really struggle uh, with moods. I look back on our, well, I look back on my own uh, adolescence I don't remember these, these times. Maybe I was lucky. I mean, I'm sure I've been very lucky. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe it was the way I was brought up. Maybe it was the way I moved, uh, you know, just being, you know, the, the luck of the draw, draw, genetics. I don't remember having these depressive episodes. And, but I do know one key thing is that we moved a hell of a lot. I can't, I can't think there isn't a big relationship with that i'm with you how's it got to this and and how can our authorities experts so-called and bureaucrats trained professional bureaucrats have allowed this to happen over time and for the whole thing to just corrode because and then how do you turn it around how do we turn this around thankfully there's still there are the there is still enough of a presence with sport, with some kids to keep them going. But I'm watching the cohort of youngsters at the moment and even the sporty kids are inclined to do less. So if you're not a sporty kid, how much less than nothing can they be doing? And the system allows it. Well, I think it's... I actually think there's a relationship between that and political correctness um the whole softening of our society um that it's like i'll go back and say it again our generation of parents are the worst in history because we've allowed it do you know what i mean we've allowed this to happen we've allowed little johnny and a little mary not to move and to stay uh strapped to their to their chair and and be on some device and all that sort of stuff and you and i we have children I'm not saying our kids haven't gone to McDonald's and haven't um, been on devices and don't spend time watching TV, but it's a balance with them getting out and doing active stuff. And, uh, and part of that is, is the parents getting out and being active with them. So if you've got the most unhealthy generation being parents, why are we surprised half? Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, how many how, parents are basically outsourcing parenting to organize sport. Mm. Like you don't see many parents down the park with the kids. No. But parents should be because it's an opportunity for them to move and for them to get out of their ruts of being dark place. You know, that sort of stuff. And, and you ask, why does it happen? It's because governments are full of people that want to tick the friggin' box, stay in a job, and don't no, have any guts. No, no. no, no. Whilst, no whilst we're going to have generations that, that just, like, 
what our age expectancy goes up but that's not age i mean so what if you get to a certain number but you've got no quality of life mm, mm, mm. well all we know as we bring this to a close on a friday evening with a weekend full of olympic football action coming up is that hosting the olympic games isn't going to fix it <sighs> no no it's um you know, it's it's really not. And I think the people have to fix it. I mean, you know, I saw it when, I mean, I don't want to go back over this, but I will. You know, when schools start banning, you know, schools banning children bringing balls to, to the playground and they're not allowed to run around the playground or play handball or play different ball games because it's dangerous from an insurance perspective, we have completely lost, yeah. lost the plot. Yeah. 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 Well, just just, be just before we go, I mean, we, we've got a, like, we're sitting here in, in this lockdown situation. And I referred to you the other day, I think Australia, we're the reverse of the St Stephen Bradbury situation. We're the other guys. <laughs> we were so far ahead in respect to COVID. Yeah. And we've just dropped the ball because yeah. we've become obsessed we're completely obsessed with no deaths and no this and no that. And that's, that's quite applaudable, I suppose. But how long? We're now in 20 months of this thing. Yeah. And I think of the youngsters, like you and I, we don't, we, we just get on with life. But the youngsters where their life is, I mean, this is critical. Well, rights of, they're missing rights of passage. It's, it's, this is, Australia's done its best effort since Jesus rolled back the stone <laughs> to beat death. And I think it's dawning on people now that you can't beat this. You've got to live with it. You've got to minimise. You've got to vaccinate to have any chance. Um, and outside of that, it's got to, I mean, it's, a, it's going to work its way through and we've got to manage it. But the, mm -hmm. the, what, just closing things down, this time last year, people were prepared to do it because it was part of the collective, right, let's get together, let's do it. And then whilst we're doing this, then the authorities will be planning the way out. And the way out, as we're being told now, had to be a vaccination program that never materialised. Mm. So lockdown 12 months after the first one is a much less palatable experience for people. Um, yep. And I don't know what how it's going to work itself out. It's... It, it, it's 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 quite remarkable actually and and we're lucky where we live in the country that you know there's being locked down in an inner city apartment there's being locked down in a country property and i know which i prefer yeah yeah no that's that's wonderful well fortunately i mean actual fact i mean i'm fully vaccinated but um it doesn't i think I think there has to be an incentive for that, doesn't there? There has to be overseas travel incentive um, and there has to be incentive mm. to... Um, but then I think you were saying to me the other day, it's difficult to get vaccines. Oh, where yeah. I am, I can't, I can't get vaccinated. I started investigating, following the cues of the authorities, you know, we need to do this. I'm not an anti-vaxxer by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know... You look like one, but, but I think you look like one a little bit with the, you know, with the, you're out there, you're out there with that farm shirt, you're out there with... Hey, if, you, if you hang on long enough, I'm going to plait my beard. Have you ever yeah. plaited your beard? Yeah, no. You used to, when you grew up in Mount Karingai, in your own check shirts, you did, you did used to, had your, your, your peroxided fringe and your, and your rat's tail, and if only, if, if only your hormones had kicked in earlier and you had a beard, we were t-shirts much like some of the kids against whom we used to play soccer oh yeah you could have you could have perhaps braided your own beard that would have been interesting do you remember yeah, that i'm, I'm going to say one thing that I, I i i remember that that one time when we used to play that indoor soccer with mr panda and all that sort of stuff and we were playing the under 15s i think we we're under 15s and the other group we saw them driving to the um, <laughs> to to the game and it reminded me the other day, and I, I told you this I'm, I'm back to my motorbike story and that classic, classic case where we're doing learn to ride. And one of the guys rides his motorcycle to the learn to ride before, he, <laughs> before he's got his L's. And I'm just thinking. That took you back. Yeah, well, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Hey, um, we were going to talk about the Matilda's deployment use of parading of the Aboriginal flag for their photo. 
we got to go now. No, but we have to say let's, one thing. It, well, let's keep, I mean, our eyes, keep our eyes on match day two and see if they're consistent with it. Well, I actually liked what they did because I, I, I saw too. they stood for the national anthem. Mm. So they showed respect for the country and then they res showed respect for the country. Uh, so they, they stood for the national anthem with our flag, the, the, the official Australian flag. And then they posed with the, the, um, the flag of the first Australians. And I know they were absolutely on, uh, they deserve our support because when you see, I, I saw Pauline Hanson was outraged. So anything yeah. that outraged Pauline Hanson, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, she's absolutely said, on track. It's not a flag that represents all Australians. And I, and I have to say, I look at our official flag and I say, well, having a Union Jack in the no. corner of our flag doesn't represent me. And that's my heritage. Like, I'm the son of British yeah. immigrants. But that doesn't represent me. Like, I, I don't find it quite unconscionable that a, 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 a country presuming to stand up on its own two feet can have another country's flag as its national symbol. And didn't you think it was hilarious? Nonsense. And what about when we played New Zealand the other day? Ah, well, we pointed that out exactly. And I'm with a family, you could not pick one that's like Jerry Seinfeld said, it's New Zealand by night, you know. So. Yeah, and I just think, like, okay, don't even fight about the flag, just remove the Union Jack. Mm. I mean, gosh, I mean, you know, you and I, I mean, you come from, we both come from British stock, but come on. Yeah. yeah, I think we've we've grown. Have we grown? No, we obviously well, haven't we ha grown. We haven't, and, and again, this this gets to the tectonic plates around this, these cultural issues are moving in Australia. Maybe not quick enough for some of us. Hey, we're gonna better get moving. We have to get moving. And our next session, our next yeah. podcast is going to be a question and answer uh, session. Have you started asking people yet? Yes, and people have been writing in questions. And please write in more questions. Contact us anywhere. All six, all six of you who are listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please do. Questions about anything, because we will, you know, if you haven't guessed, I mean, we are experts on everything, according to <laughs> according, according to us. And, yeah. you know, yeah. we just mask around it as, you know, being interested in football to talk about politics and life. But, um, but yeah, um, we will do a question and answer uh, segment next week. So we've got a few already. Um, but please uh, write some in and we'll... Did you get mine yet? I sent you a few. <laughs> <laughs> but how All are they right. going to get in touch with you? With us, we, sorry. No, we've got the, we've got the website. Um, uh, sorry, not the website. We've got the email address, thesoccerdoctors uh, at gmail.com. There you go. So Maybe if you send, you, you send an email um, uh, to there, just hold on one sec. I'll just... Um, oh, Sorry. Sorry, I just better change that. It's and I'll put this in the show notes at the end of this. Mate, this episode. is such a well old machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, because it's soccer doctors podcast at gmail.com. Right. And send an email there and uh we will definitely answer your questions and we will even um say hello to you. So so that would <laughs> like be, be like Miss Selena. <laughs> This I know. A, I, I can see you, romper, bumper, stomper, do tell me, I tell love me, that. tell yeah, me. Yeah, I know. Oh, did you see who died today? Strop. Yeah, I did. Yeah. That's very sad. John Connell. So yeah. rest in yeah. peace, Paul Hogan show. So yeah. all right. Yeah. Anyway, that's Bye, us. Mate. Stay well. Be Thanks grateful. for listening. Good to see you. Yeah, and be grateful for what we have. Um, it's much easier. I mean, we're in a very fortunate place in a lot of ways. So uh, be grateful. And that's us out. See you, Hops. Cheers, mate. Bye. 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 Thank you.